Good morning, Orchard Church. How are you? That was a little creepy seeing all my pictures up there and, and realizing somebody was stalking me on Facebook. Uh, so, oh man, that's great to be here. If you're here uh, new this morning, uh, we are so glad you're here. Seriously, it is awesome that you're here. Um, if you're looking for uh, a perfect church, keep looking. <laughs> um, and I'll break the bad news to you that there is no such thing as a perfect church. Uh, but Orchard Church is a great, great church to link arms with. Um, yeah, you guys are, you give yourselves a hand. You know, as I, um, let me just talk to the Orchard peeps for just a little bit. Um, I've gotten to know Gary and Doug over the last several months and uh, got to hang out with them, spend time with them, build a relationship with them. Good people. Uh, I just want to let you know, you know this already, you are blessed to have pastors like that, right? Yeah. They bleed Orchard Church. Not only do they love Jesus like crazy, they love you guys. Like every time we get together, they're always talking about you guys and bragging on you. Um, but I got to tell you, they do it in a very modest way. Because as I've talked to other community leaders like Dr. Fiddler, the superintendent of, of 27J and, and people like that, it's amazing the impact that you guys make in the community. So from my heart, I just want to say, first of all, I'm proud of you. And I want to say thank you. You represent Jesus well. So I want to give you a hand. You guys are awesome. One of the things I noticed that I've spent some time uh, with you guys is that you're real. You're authentic. You're just like, you don't come on a Sunday morning with a plastic smile pasted on. You're like, you know what? Life is rough sometimes. And I've even gotten, even this morning, hear some of your stories and, and you realize people are messy and life can, life can get you down. I don't know what you're going through this morning. Maybe you feel like, uh, you know, gosh, you know, really, what's happening? My life is exploding. Maybe you're going through a divorce right now. I know some of you have lost your jobs. You're like, I have rent. I have mortgage. I got kids to feed. How am I going to deal, deal with that? Some of you are just going through it relationally. I know some of you gotten news from the doctor for yourself, for a loved one. I know some of you have lost a loved one and your heart is just aching like crazy. You ever felt like God's forgotten you? You ever gone through it and you're like, really seriously, God, do you know what's happening to me? You ever felt lost in the bigness of life? I mean, there are 7 billion people on the face of the planet. You ever think, yeah, God doesn't have time for me? There's too much going on? You ever feel like you're just a drop in an ocean? You ever ask this question? Does God even know I exist? If you have, here's what I want to, I want to share with you one of my favorite verses. In the Bible, and it comes out, it comes from the ancient book of Zephaniah. It's Zephaniah 3:17. And Zephaniah says this. 
Well, actually, God says this through the prophet Zephaniah. He says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Yippee, skippy. Ah, does everybody feel better? Let's pray and go home. No, not really, right? Because that verse, uh, when it's first read, I think it, it, it's just like any other verse that's first read. It just kind of pings off of our heart. Not that God's word doesn't lack power, but it, often our heart, our perspective. Uh, you know what? It comes across often like uh, when you hear the phrase, hey, God loves you. We hear those phrases so often we become inoculated by the immensity of them, and, and our perspective can get off. It's hard to understand the depth of, of these truths that we find in the Bible because our perspective isn't right-sized. We, our, our perspective is tenuous at best, and it definitely is flawed. We can have situational myopia. That's short-sightedness. And we can be short-sighted and just focus on just right the, the storm that's raging right around us. And it's a perspective thing. Our perspective is flawed. Let me show you, uh, let me share with you a time that my perspective uh, was flawed and it needed to be right-sized. Um, a couple of years ago, my family and I got to uh, vacation in Sedona, Arizona, a beautiful place. It's where they shot all the old westerns out in the desert. And we took a trip to the Grand Canyon. Let me show you a picture. There I am, Grand Canyon, right on the edge, making my wife nervous. I got yelled at. <laughs> uh, and don't worry, we're not going to spend the next 40 minutes going through my vacation slides. <laughs> uh, this next picture, we had a little fun. It's uh, having a fun with perspective. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you might recognize that landmark. It's called the Watchtower. It was designed by a lady called Mary Coulter uh, in 1932. And so uh, my, youngest, my youngest girl, Kylie, um, senior in high school this year, we were having some fun with that. It was a perspective shot. The perspective is off. Let me show you just how big it is, this next shot. That's what it looks like. So it's got some height to it. Really cool place. If you go in, it's like a museum. In the inside, it has a lot of artifacts from the indigenous people. Really cool. You can uh, walk all the way up to the top. And I was out on the patio right next to this. And I remember I was there with our, our tour guide. And he pointed across the, uh, across the canyon. And he says, how big do you think those trees are? And I, I was doing just like what you're doing. Like, I don't see trees. And you're kind of scanning. I'm like, where? And he goes, he goes, right, if you just look right up that ravine, those trees, and this picture doesn't do too much justice. There's actually, you can see green over there. And I'm thinking, trees? Maybe there are bushes like the ones right in front of us. And he asked me, how, how, uh, how far do you think that is over there? I'm like, well, it's some distance. It's got to be uh, a mile at least. And he goes, no, that's, that's seven miles over there. I'm like, seven miles? And those are actually trees. He says, those are Douglas fir trees, and they're over 100 feet tall. And I'm like, whoa. And I just stood there. I'm like, with my mouth again. I'm like, that's amazing. And my perspective was getting, getting right-sized in, in that whole thing. And I'm like, well, this is a big hole in the ground. It is huge. The cool thing on that patio, that, that little uh, 
flat place you could kind of mill about. They had plaques on the inside of the wall. And this is one of them. It's scripture. Isn't that cool? This one was actually Psalm 66.4. And it says, all the earth shall worship thee. And shall sing unto thee, they shall sing to thy name. So today I want to, want to invite you to uh, allow you to enter in and to marvel at God's enormity. To have our, our perspective right-sized with God. When we were um, staying in Sedona there, we took a trip one afternoon to Prescott. 45-minute drive. And I actually got a ticket going. And you're probably asking, well, why would you get a ticket? Why, why were you in such a hurry to get to Prescott, Arizona? What's in Prescott, Arizona that would be so worth a ticket? Uh, let me just say three words. In and out. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and can I tell you, it's so worth the ticket, right? Oh, my goodness. Double, double, gorilla style. <laughs> right? You're like, I hope he wraps it up. I'm hungry. Let's go. So we stayed for a movie, got a burger, stayed for a movie, and we were traveling back to Sedona out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the night, and we were driving along, and I forgot who it was. One of us looked up into the sky and went, oh my goodness, you have to see this. We ended up pulling the minivan we rented over. Yes, I was speeding in a minivan. <laughs> we pulled the minivan over, and the girls and I got out. My wife wouldn't get out because they're snakes or whatever. She says, no. But she was saying, hanging out the passenger side window. And we all stood there going like this. Oh, my. Oh, look, look. Oh, wow. Look over there. Oh, wow. It was like a, uh, a planetarium on steroids. It was nuts, the stars, and just the, you could see the, the white kind of stuff floating, and they were cloud. But you know, you've seen that. I've been up in the mountains, and I've seen the night sky, but it's different in the desert because it's all wide open. It goes from horizon to horizon. You're just, oh my gosh, amazing. I love what the psalmist says. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. And they're not saying that so we can make up cute little songs like, twinkle, twinkle, little star. No, they're saying, listen, all you have to do is look up and you can marvel at God's handiwork. See how big he is. He goes on in verse 2. He says, day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. He says, God is huge. Don't sell him short. He's limitless. He's bigger than any thought we've ever had of him. In fact, the mountains and the night sky, the sky, they just are like these huge billboards that scream this truth at us every single day. God is big. God is huge. I love the way scripture is so clear in that. I also love the way science unpacks scripture. And, and I'm, a, I'm a science junkie. I'm, the, I'm that guy. I wish I was that in high school because it took me five years to get through high school. I could have used it back then. But it was only later on in life I became a science junkie. I watched the History Channel, Discovery Channel, Science Channel. I read like science textbooks. Yes, I'm that geek guy. I'm not, I'll own it. You know, I, I read a, uh, recently read a book, uh, Darwin's Black Box by Dr. Uh, Behe. He's a molecular biologist. 
Well, that stuff is fascinating to me because it unveils the, the, the intricacy and the complexity of God's creation. And it just screams to the glory of our creator. In the first book of the Bible, yeah, so that was my fair warning. Lock, lock it in, strap in. We're going to have kind of science class this morning. It's going to be fun. And you're like, oh boy, I had to come this morning. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be awesome. The first book of the Bible, uh, it's called Genesis. And the text begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some people like to call the beginning of the universe the Big Bang, and, and I'm actually okay with that. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, it was a pretty big bang. And just a few verses later, God says, let there be light. And there was light. Because God gets what he wants. Right? And he says, let there be light. Listen, God merely spoke and the universe came into existence. I don't think that's sinking in. The universe is massive, absolutely massive. It's huge. Scientists call it the known universe. Translation, we haven't built a telescope big enough to marvel at its entirety. What we do know is every time we build a bigger telescope, we're wild, we're blown away by the immensity of, of the universe, just how big it is. Every time we build a bigger telescope, we have to right-size our perspective. It is, it's getting to this point that it's, it's becoming too big. It's starting to flip these, short-circuit our brains, even brains of scientists. It's too big. And it starts squashing and crushing our self-appraisal because we realize just how all we are. So in Genesis, God speaks, says, let there be light. When God spoke light into being, it came out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of life, of light, if you were paying attention in high school, which I wasn't, and I had to look it up again. Light came out of the mouth of God at 186,000 miles per hour. Let me, let me right-size your perspective of just how fast that is. The circumfer circumference of the earth is 24,901 miles around. Kind of like me at Thanksgiving. Ooh, baby. <laughs> 24,901 miles an hour, so in one single second, a beam of light can travel around the globe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. That's fast. That's faster than me heading to Prescott for in and out man. That is fast. Fast. Think about that. 186,000 miles per second. We live in this little subdivision of our universe called the Milky Way galaxy. And, and, and we, need, we need what's called a light year just to get around our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. And we know that light travels 186,000 miles per second. So let's just try to wrap our brains around that. 186,000 miles. 186,000 miles. 186,000 miles. 
right? Just think of a ruler. You got a ruler, right? In one second, 186,000 miles, 186,000 miles, 186,000 miles. Imagine that for one minute, 60 seconds, 186,000 mile chunks. You just lost me. That's the distance is just, I can't comprehend it. That's just a, a minute. What about, a, what about an hour? 60 minutes at 186,000 miles. 186,000 miles. For an hour, what about a 24-hour period for a day? How far does light travel in a complete day 186,000 miles per second? What about 365 days a year? If light travels 186,000 miles per second, then in one year it travels 5.88 trillion miles. I know, too big, right? Too many zeros? Let me try to uh, right-size your perspective. What's What's a trillion look like? Well, here's a dollar bill. Think of a dollar bill, not the length or the width, but the thickness of a dollar bill. Take that dollar bill front to back and you stack up a trillion dollars. And then you laid them out on the ground. How far would it stretch? From here to the parking lot? No. <laughs> it's a trillion. It's a trillion of these. From here to Brighton? No. From here to Colorado Springs? Nope. From here to California? No, not even that either. You know how far? Two and a half times around the globe. A trillion dollars front to back stacked and laid it two and a half times. That's a trillion. That's just one trillion. Replace the width of this dollar with a mile. Light travels in one year 5.88 trillion miles. That's the measure of unit we use just to get around our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. I love this quote by Neil Armstrong, the first man to ever walk on the moon. Who remembers that? Oh, good, I'm not alone. I'm not, all right, old people represent, yeah. Woo, right, 60s child, loving it. Right, well, Neil Armstrong said this. I remember on the way home on Apollo 11, it suddenly struck me. That tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. So I put up my thumb and shut one eye, and my thumb blotted out planet Earth. Look at the insight of his perspective. But I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. The psalmist had that same perspective in chapter 8. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are people that you should think about them? Mere mortals that you should care for them. By the word of the Lord, the universe was made. In 1977, we launched a spacecraft called Voyager with the mission to photograph our solar system. 13 years later, on Valentine's Day, 1990, scientists from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the JPL, they sent a message, a set of commands to Voyager saying, turn around and take a snapshot of all of the planets that you visited. Well, at this point, it was 3.7 billion miles away from Earth, traveling 40,000 miles an hour away from the sun. 
where our, our solar system is so ma massive, just being that far away, it still couldn't capture it in one shot. It had to take 60 images to capture those. 60 images. And it starts sending these images back to Earth. Now, each image has 640,000 pixels. What's a pixel? A little colored dot that makes up a picture. Put 640,000 of them together in this instant, and you get one image. Now, think about that. 60 images, 640,000 pixels, and each pixel is taking five and a half hours to get all the way back to Earth. And you thought your internet connection was slow. I would die. I would be like, ah, come on. Well, it took months for, for us to finally get all of that back. And when it was finally composited, we came up with this famous image. And you're like, it, it, really? Yeah, that's, the, that's actually right, the right one. That's, I know it's like I delete those from my phone because I have my, phone, my thumb over the camera lens. But that's it. That's the famous image you see the, the yellow band and the green band? You're like, what is that? That's actually light reflecting off Voyager. Even though it's nearly 4 billion miles away from the sun, light is still hitting it, which is incredible. And in that picture is a little speck. Do you see it? I didn't want you to miss it. It's right there. That is the earth. That's the earth, and it just so happened to be caught in a ray of sunlight. From 3.7 billion miles away, that's earth. One famous astronomer said this, Carl Sagan. Everyone who has ever lived, lived on that pale blue dot. To which he described earth as a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. Our life is a blip. James calls it a vapor in the wind. A minuscule little existence. And you're like, gosh, Scott, you're making me feel pretty small. I'm not trying to make you feel small. I want you to see that you are small. <laughs> Because that pale blue dot is just one of a handful of planets in our solar system that is cast into the ocean called the Milky Way Galaxy. The Milky Way Galaxy. Our galaxy, for you geek heads like me, is actually called a barred spiral nucleus. And this is what scientists believe it looks like. Obviously, we can, haven't traveled far enough away from our galaxy that we could turn around and take a selfie, right? But that's what they think it looks like. Now, if you're like me, you're probably wondering, I wonder where we are in our own Milky Way galaxy, probably at the center where the party's happening. Woo, right? NASA says, no, there's no way we would even survive at the center. It's, it's cosmic chaos. There's whole star systems colliding, and it's just way too violent. In fact, at the very center of our, our galaxy is a huge black hole that is not only swallowing up stars, it's messing with time, space, and gravity itself. It is some jacked up stuff happening there. So you might look at that, well, you know what? Okay, not the center, but man, one of those arms look pretty cool, right? Blue, pretty neat. I think we probably live in one of those. And, and NASA says, yeah, no, not there either. We actually live in a pretty quiet part of our subdivision, in a clear spot about two-thirds of the way out, right about there. 
And I know you're like, well, I don't see me. I don't see our solar system. You're right, because our solar system is so small, it doesn't even show up on the map. Let me right-size that, right-size your perspective in that. Let's pretend we take the Milky Way galaxy and we shrink it down to, the, to, to fit the size of the North American continent. Not just the United States, but from the Arctic Ocean all the way down to Panama. How big do you think our solar system would be if the galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy, was the size of the North American continent? The size of a quarter. Lost in the North American continent. Right size perspective translation, we're not even all that significant in our own little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. Is it starting to sink in yet? Is your perspective being right sized? If you wanted to, let's say you wanted to visit some friends on the other side of our subdivision, you would have to travel 100,000 light years, right? Light travels 186,000 miles per second in one year. It travels 5.88 trillion miles times 100,000. <laughs> there it goes again. Holy smokes, we're small. Our galaxy, just our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy is huge. But you know, it's also beautiful. I love seeing pictures like this. Wow. Seriously, God, that is, you are amazing. If we zoom in on this picture, we actually start seeing these regions that are called star-forming regions. This particular shot was taken by Dr. David Block, who lives in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Listen to what Dr. David Block said. If you were to count the billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone, it would take around 2,500 years, 25 centuries just to count the stars in our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. Through, through the prophet Isaiah, God right-sizes our perspective of him. He says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? And then he answers the question for us. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name, one by one. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Just in our little subdivision alone, billions, not hundreds, not millions, but billions of stars just in our little subdivision called the Milky Way galaxy. And scientists say there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies out there, other subdivisions out there. Too big. Maybe right now you're feeling pretty small and insignificant. Maybe you're thinking, I hope they don't invite this guy back. <laughs> He's not giving me a warm fuzzy this morning. Well, in that spirit, let's go back to Zephaniah 317, where we started this morning. For the Lord your God is living among you. 
He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Now is it starting to sink in. Know that God is the one speaking here. And this is what he's saying to you. For the Lord your God is living among you. You know what he's saying, Orchard? I'm with you. It might feel like you're alone sometimes, that the storm is raging around you, and it might feel like I've forgotten you. I have not. If not forgotten you, I'm right there with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. In fact, I'm going to fight for you. That's what he says next. He says, he says, I'll fight for you. The Lord is a mighty savior. Another translation reads, uh, a strong warrior there to save you. He says, listen, there's nothing that I could find out about you that would make me turn away. In fact, I know everything about you and I love it all so much. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to fight for you. Is it starting to sink in yet? How big you are in God's heart. He says, I'll take delight in you. <laughs> when I think about you, I can't help but smile. A huge smile grows from ear to ear. And he goes on to say, I will calm all your fears and I will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I dug into the original language there to find out exactly what God was saying to you. He's saying this, listen, when I think of you and how much I love you, my heart becomes so full, I can't contain it. I can't keep it in, and I start singing and dancing. Yeah, when God thinks about you, he starts dancing a jig. Woohoo! He can't contain it. But I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, no. Not me. He may love you, Scott, that much. You know, maybe the person sitting right next to me, he, he loves them, that, not me. I mean, if God really knew me, really knew me, he would turn his back on me. Scott, I, uh, I struggle with addiction. I'm weak. I feel shame. How could God love me? You don't know what kind of parent I've been. It's beyond messing things up. How could God love me? My own father didn't stick around. I'm unlovable. Scott, how could God love me? God, you just, you don't, know, you don't know my past. You don't know the things I've done. There are things that I haven't even forgiven myself for. How could God forgive me? Scott, do you understand what I'm going through? The pain I'm suffering through right now? 
Obviously, God doesn't love me. Listen, I get that. I get having that perspective. I've struggled with those very same things myself. I've had that perspective before. But listen, that perspective is flawed. Have you ever, uh, have you ever experienced something so awesome, so overwhelming, it just, it just takes your breath away? Right? You're like, oh. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, you've been to the Grand Canyon, uh, In-N-Out Burger, right? Whoa, right? <laughs> For me, it was, it was uh, when my girls were born. I was there. They actually, I don't know what was going through their head, but they actually let me into the delivery room, and they were born, and every time, each time, the kiddo popped out, and I'm like, Whoa. I had nothing to say. I was so overwhelmed. Picture that and listen to a different way this original language can be translated. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He, he will be quiet in his love. He will be quiet in his love for you. Listen. When God sits down and truly contemplates how much he loves you, sometimes he's so overwhelmed, he doesn't have words to express it. Now is it starting to sink in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in just one breath. Hundreds of billions of hundreds of billions of stars. And the psalmist says he counts and numbers the stars and he gives names to each one. Billions of galaxies with billions of stars and God names each one. And when the God of the universe spoke all of that into being, when he thinks about how much he loves you, He's at a loss for words. Now is it starting to sink in? I get it. I get it. Maybe you feel lost in the bigness of the universe. And it's big. Maybe you feel lost in the bigness of life. Maybe you feel lost in the bigness of the storm that you're in right now. Maybe you ask, really, does God know who I am? Has God forgotten about me? Does God truly know what I'm going through? Does God know how much it hurts? Yes. The answer is yes. Because he sings and he dances over you and sometimes... Sometimes when he's thinking about how much he loves you, he can't find words to express it. Listen, I want to grab each one of you by the shoulders and and take you and look you straight in the eyes and say, do you understand that God dreamt about you? Before all of this was created, before time itself was created, God dreamed about you. Before you were knitted together in your mother's womb, God was so dreaming about the day you would be adopted into his family. Paul tells us this in Ephesians. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. 
what a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He created us. The reason we exist is to share in God's love with him. But there's bad news. Sad truth in the matter is, we said, God, thanks, but no thanks. And when we broke relationship with God, we became broken, literally broken. We're broken physically. We experienced death. We weren't meant for death. We became broken spiritually. We became broken relationally. Boy, we mess that up, don't we? We became broken in our ability to love. We can't love God and love others the way we were meant to. And when we can't love God and others the way we're meant to, we experience something that is the exact opposite of what God has for us. We experience isolation. And it's huge. It's it's isolation on an epic eternity scale. When the cost, the penalty of rejecting God's love is an eternity in isolated torment in a real place called hell. But it hadn't have to be that way. You see, before even time began, you have God the Father, along with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they're in this huddle. They're like, they're taught, you know, they're taught, they're talking about you. And they're dreaming about you. And they're dreaming about when they get to have that relationship with you. It's always been their plan. Since the get-go, for our redemption, our rescue, John 3, 16, for God so loved you that he gives his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, God the Son, took on human flesh, took on our brokenness, our disease, our pain, our hurt, our hurts, our alienation, literally took on our hell. And in that place, he offers us a gift. Paul tells us, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We can't work for it, can't pay for it. We don't deserve it. That's why they call it grace. Hundreds of billions of hundreds of billions of stars, and God names each one. But when he thinks of you, sometimes he's at a loss for words. Maybe today is the day you accept that love. Is today the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Saying, Jesus, thank you for healing my brokenness. Thank you for fixing my relationship with my heavenly Father. Maybe today you step out in faith and you say, you want to adopt me? Okay, I'm yours. Thank you for paying the price of my rebellious heart. Is today the day that you let God love you? Will you let God love you? I want to spend just a few moments just in the quietness of our own hearts. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And maybe for you, you're, you're like, man, I've gotten into that rut of trying to work for it and trying to get God to like me. And I'm on that hamster wheel of religion. 
Let's just right now confess that to God. Just agree with God. That's what that is. Saying, God, you're right. Man, it doesn't depend on me. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. And one of the hardest steps you need to take right now is, is so simple, but it's, simple doesn't always mean easy. You just take a step of trusting God. Trusting that he does know you. He knows exactly what you're going through. Ask him to give you courage, strength. Not your own strength, but his strength. Maybe this morning you heard for the very first time about the gift that he offers. And we can't work for it. You heard for the very first time how much he loves you just right now in the quietness of your own heart. Just confess to God, yeah, I've blown it. I've walked away from you. I've lived life without you. I need to be rescued. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed still, I'm going to ask if you've made that decision to trust in Jesus for the very first time in your life. I simply want you to raise your head, make eye contact with me, raise your arms, so raise your hands so I can see it. I just want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're thinking, there's no way God could love me. Take that step of faith. Accept that. God, we come to you and we know we can be such prideful people. Holy smokes. But let us agree with Paul. It's, it's when we're weak. We admit that and we surrender that to you. That's when we're strong. It actually takes a strong individual to surrender to you. Let us join with Paul and boast all the more gladly about the stuff we're going through so that we're brought to the foot of the cross. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Thank you for loving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.